Our Father, as we come this morning and uh, we open your word, there is a, a sense that maybe all of these words together just, just seem to run together and, and may seem overwhelming in some ways. But I ask that uh, you would do a work this morning for us, that you would clear our minds so that we may receive the instruction that you have for us this morning. And Lord, we, we take seriously the fact that as we read through this and, and study it today, that within our own hearts, Father, there are things there that you want to uncover. There are things there that you want to reveal to us. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, you would allow then for uh, my words to be your words this morning. And that it would be a clear demonstration, Father, of, of what you have promised to do from this very passage. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a passage this morning um, that reminds me of what it is like to learn something for the first time. And, um, you know, it's, it's been called, like, for instance, the aha moment for us, uh, when something that has been... Uh, discovered, and, and you begin to understand the hidden truths that were undiscoverable before. Um, personally, uh, for me, I, I love learning. I'm an educator, and so uh, that is certainly something that appeals to me. And I get to see it with students, with, with children at school, but I also get to see it when I'm talking with people and uh, talking about various things where there's this moment of discovery that takes place. And, and, you know, just learning about something like that sort of allows for us then to sort of capture that and then to have to think about what will I do with this knowledge. Now, I have never seen an iceberg in person. And I don't know if there's anyone in here ever seen an iceberg before. Oh, that's fantastic. So I've never seen one in person, but... I'm sure that if I saw one in person for the first time, that I would be amazed. I'd be amazed at its whiteness and how big the giant rock of ice looks at the surface. But as we all know, that is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Mm -hmm. They say only about one-tenth of the volume of an iceberg is above water. And 90% of its size is below the surface. So can you imagine what it must have been like for the uh, first observers to discover this truth? To, to realize what I'm seeing here at the surface is disproportionate to what is below the surface of the water, right? Well, to give us an appreciation of this incredible marvel of nature, the largest iceberg ever discovered in the Atlantic Ocean was 551 feet above sea level. Uh, you know, that's, that's pretty big. It's equivalent to a 55-story building. And then to think, still, that roughly 90% of its volume remained in the ocean, that just kind of blows my mind. Um, the largest icebergs in the uh, Antarctic region are bigger than the state of Delaware floating out there, bigger than the country of Belgium. And that's just on the surface. And when you think about what is below there, you're still thinking, wow, 90% of it is still under there. You can imagine the weight of this thing, right? But for our purposes this morning, this is purely knowledge with very little understanding. You see, understanding begins when you ask Google, how can an iceberg the size of a really big island float? And then Google gives you Archimedes' principle of buoyancy. And now I know why I didn't understand this in the first place. However, after reading a summary of it, it makes sense to me because I know no other reason to refute it. But that is still just knowledge that is not connected to understanding. 
I, I looked at Archimedes' principle there, a buoyancy, and, you know, I, I was doing okay with just like, okay, I see there are these letters that are connected to numbers. I get that. Um, and then I, I kind of like, they were talking about water and density and volume, and then all of a sudden there was compensation because it's salt water, which is a little bit more dense. And I, I was starting to get lost because as I was trying to understand this, I was, I was just trying to figure out, wait a second, let me go back to the beginning here to try to understand, you know, what is going on here? What is all the science behind this here? It's something that is great. And some people are good at it. And there may be other areas that you may find yourself saying, you know, I have knowledge of something and I have understanding about it. But as we're going to discover this morning, not everybody has an understanding of God's Word. They may have knowledge about it, but not necessarily understanding. One pastor put it in perspective this way for today's passage by saying, God's wisdom is much like an iceberg. For unbelievers, they see the tip of the iceberg. They only see what can be seen on the surface of Christianity as it is reported to them. For the vast majority of unbelievers, really their only way to understand Christianity is usually through the lens of an unbeliever, though. The problem is that the one who has no understanding of God's mind is usually leading another person to beliefs about God. But for the believer, we have access to understand the mind of the Lord. And as we're going to see in this passage, it requires that we don't act like an unbeliever, though, and simply become enamored with knowledge about God. But instead, we need to learn to put on the mind of Christ this morning. And that's the way that we have to study God's Word. So this morning, what I would like to do is share with you um, this proposition here uh, for what we're going to be doing, and that is that only by the Spirit of God can anyone understand the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ and gain a new understanding of God, ourselves, and the world we inhabit. And so I want you to consider the fact that it is the Spirit of God that reveals this mystery and then begins to give us insight into the fact that this is now how we are to understand God himself, understand ourselves, and understand the world that we now inhabit, that we've been placed on. Now, about eight months ago, I last preached from 1 Corinthians and uh, we, we were studying through this, and we learned about the divisions that had taken place in the Corinthian church. And Paul had, had learned about it because uh, the people that uh, were closely associated to a person named Chloe in the church had reported to Paul about these divisions. And, and what had happened is that they had created for themselves spiritual leaders that they followed closely, much like unbelievers did in the great culture when philosophies and ideas were exchanged. It was common for, uh, for the Greeks to, to basically sit around together and to listen to these people that would philosophize, and they would share their philosophies, and you would kind of pick a person that you would be like, okay, I, I go with this one. And they sort of enjoyed this, this way of thinking. And so, you know, in, in the church here, though, some had become followers of Paul, Others liked Apollos because of his oratory skills that reminded them of the Greek tradition. Some followed Cephas, or known as Peter, and others said, we only follow Christ, and that's how we're going to go. So what had started as, as one church was now splintered by a desire to boast that they were wise and powerful and influential. There was now very little difference between them and the Greek unbelievers of the region that had been invited into the church now. And Paul, in chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, rebukes them for this. And he says, 
For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. See, Paul pointed out that the ways of God, which seemed so foolish to the natural men, were used to save them. In other words, God had chosen them because they were seen as unworthy in this world. And so, um, as Paul is reminding them of this fact, it was so that they would instead boast only about God and his work. What had happened was that they were instead propping up people, saying, we, we follow this person, and really, in, in reality, these, these individuals, Paul, Apollos, Peter, Jesus, weren't even there with them. But, you know, this is, when they were here, this is, they, this is how they spoke, and this is now who we follow. And in order to kind of raise themselves up in this area, they were looking to add people into their church, and these people that were being added into their church, this was in the typical Greek fashion, okay? Let me tell you about this person and who we follow and why, and you should come and listen. And all of a sudden, the church was filled with unbelievers as well. And in fact, if you read on in the book, you'll find that uh, there is a serious problem that is there with people who uh, really are living completely out of the boundaries. And, and really, Paul is telling them, hey, get these people out. And if they are believers, they will come back. We see that there's apparently three letters. We, we only have two that are recorded here. But from what we see in Scripture, Paul even uh, talks about a, an earlier letter that was written prior to this one. But Paul is having to address these things with them. And so um, I think it's important for us to understand that Paul wants them to think about this not as what you have done and how now you have become this important person in Christ, but rather you need to boast in what God has done for you. And so succinctly put, there was nothing that they could do to earn the grace of God. He wanted them to know that, that it was God who did all the work. Then in chapter 2, Paul begins to remind them that when he came to preach to them, he did not come to them wanting to preach philosophies that were sophisticated and use great oratory skills to convince people to follow Christ. In fact, Paul states these words that he feared lest he used wisdom in presenting the gospel, his hearers might only superficially be attracted by his persuasiveness and not profoundly moved by the intrinsic power of the cross. He was careful in the way in which he prepared to deliver this message to them. Because what he didn't want to do was to, was to come in in the typical fashion that people spoke in those days, and that people would, in fact, he knew this, they were, they were likely to do it, that they would say, oh, boy, he's a good speaker. We're going to follow him. Instead, what Paul wanted to do was to make sure that he preached just the gospel message. He wanted to preach that it was Christ who was crucified and to allow the power of the cross to be what would move them. Paul once again pointed us to the power of the cross, God's chosen vehicle by which God's wrath for our sins would be poured out upon Christ. This was important for them. They needed to know, hey, wait a second, this is how I came to you. This is what I want you to understand. I did not come for the purpose of trying to get followers to follow me. You're here to be moved for the God's purposes. So now here we are in verse 6, and Paul is going to deal with two things to explain to the Corinthian believers why they should not accept the ways of unbelievers in the church. And uh, Paul begins here in, uh, in verse 6 to tell about the understanding of this age. And it says in these verses, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, 
Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul begins here by saying that he and the apostles do have some wisdom from God to import to the Corinthians. But notice that he qualifies the kind of wisdom that they brought in verse 7 by saying that it has been a secret hidden from man. That means it was undiscovered. And now it has been revealed to those whom God gives understanding. In fact, God's plan was hidden from all mankind. We know that. Since before the earth was created until God sent his son Jesus to the earth. It was God's secret plan to send his son. And the Lord of glory would condescend to man because man could not reach God. And this hidden wisdom then was revealed to the believers of Corinth. The Old Testament, we have various passages where in the Old Testament there's this, this hint of what is going to happen. And we have men who are prophesying about this. But one of the things that we need to remember is that this was understood, or not even really understood, but it was obscure to them still. It was not fully known that Jesus, that God himself would enter into humanity. He would condescend and that he would walk here and what would happen to him. Well, second on here, let's see. The gospel, we see that the wisdom of God was hidden uh, from certain people. And um, it is hidden from the rulers of this age, it tells us. These rulers Paul is speaking of are the rulers who gave their approval to crucify Christ. Rulers who actively pursued his death and rulers who passively allowed Christ to be crucified. In chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And so, listen to this next part. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. This, this, this knowledge here, this of, uh, understanding of really a, a, of the gospel is something that is hidden from people today, still. It was hidden from people in those days, and he makes the point of saying that if they did know, they would not have crucified him. They would have instead welcomed him with open arms. This is the king of glory who walks into humanity, and he is the one then that should be all of a sudden received in such a way that they would have said, you know what, he is the Messiah. Let's, let's go ahead and let's follow him. But instead, this is hidden from the rulers of this age. They cannot see it. They cannot understand this. Much like the iceberg there, what they can only see is at the surface, right? They cannot see what is below. And so there's this contrast here that Paul is giving as he, he talks about the fact that, you know what, we do have a wisdom that we want to share with you, and you have come to understand this. But listen, those people in your church that aren't believers, they, they don't get it. They can't understand this. Example number one, people who are not saved cannot follow Jesus 
the same way you do. Because if they had, the rulers of this age would never have crucified Christ. This passage reminds us that the rulers of the present age often see themselves as wise. And in their own wisdom, they're trying to reach God in their own way. But they have failed time after time, and and they're doomed to pass away. That's what the Scriptures tell us. This past week, I was reading a Christian media service uh, that highlighted several politicians that you would recognize immediately if I mentioned them by name. But for the sake of not sidetracking you from God's Word, I just want to relay to you that the reason these people were highlighted was because all of them identified as Christians, and yet all of them uh, were in favor of a morality that rests with the people. Think about that for a moment. A morality that rests with the people of the land, and they see no reason why God wouldn't be okay with what man has determined to be moral or immoral, as long as we all just love one another and tolerate each other's attempts to define God in our own ways. Now, I want you to to just kind of take this in to begin to think about the fact that there is this this problem that exists here for people that that are, you know, in that, that position of being a ruler or having authority that they do have to think about what happens with all the people. What is the best way to manage all of this? And here is a, was a perfect example to me of just kind of seeing how people think about this. Is there really a conviction about the fact that as a Christian person here, that I, I really need to lead in a God-fearing way or that my personal beliefs about morality are not, are not going to be set by what the populace wants, but instead it'll be set by an understanding of God. Brothers and sisters, this is not new news to anyone, is it? Man has been attempting to find his own way to reach God and to make God okay with him. The problem is that this is pure foolishness to a holy and righteous God that created man to live in harmony with him. So when Paul says none of the rulers of this age understood this, his point to the Corinthians is that if these rulers were in harmony with God, they would not have crucified Christ, especially the religious leaders of the Jews. You know, I think there's application in that today, that we even have pastors today, religious leaders, that still want to say, hey, you know what? It's okay. Um, You know, God is going to be okay with this. We'll interpret the Bible the way that we want to interpret it. We'll leave out parts that we want to leave out. It is man's attempt still to try to find his own way to God. And there are many of these leaders who are willing to lead anybody that will follow them. But the way that they're leading them is obviously to destruction. Moving uh, into the next set of verses here, verses 9 through 13. We see the understanding of God here. Paul quotes from Isaiah 64.4 to remind the Corinthians that this hidden wisdom from God was kept sealed until God unlocked it at the proper time. It states, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. See, Paul is circling in on an important point that we call revelation. Revelation is an uncovering, a bringing to light of that which has been previously uh, wholly hidden or only obscurely seen. Notice that God said that not an eye has seen nor an ear heard 
nor could man have imagined what God has planned, but that at the right time the Holy Spirit will reveal it to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 tells us that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You see, revelation can be explained this way. God has been pleased in various ways and at at different times to make a supernatural revelation of himself. And his purposes and plans, which under the guidance of his spirit, has been committed now to writing, which we call the Bible. The scriptures are not merely for the record of revelation. They are the revelation itself in a written form in order to the accurate preservation and propagation of the gospel truth. I think about this and I think how sometimes we have these, these people who want to create their own writings, right? It's not enough that we have already received the Word of God. There's something else that needs to be added. The Bible tells us that God's revelation is complete, and it's been given to us. God has found His ways in which He has wanted to reveal Himself, to give us more understanding. So, the Bible is God's way that we have today in which to do that. At the end of verse 10 and going through verse 12, Paul begins to explain that the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And here we have an explanation of what it means to know the mind of God. I know that many of us in this room probably consider ourselves to be pretty good mind readers. Okay, and maybe at times one of you have, um, in your marriage, have been in an argument with your spouse, or perhaps uh, maybe we'll call it a discussion, right? Um, and, um, you know, discussion just sounds like it's a little bit more civil while we're debating each other in front of the kids, right? And um, it's a discussion that's taking place. It's interesting, though, how we find ourselves trying to understand the mind of one another as this discussion unravels. And maybe it's not with your spouse, but maybe it's been with your children. Maybe it's been with somebody else. But although you might normally, you know, kind of have these discussions with somebody that you really know well, such as your spouse, you might even be able to finish the sentences of your spouses on most occasions. You know them that well. However, while you're in this discussion, you begin to find that, wait a second here, I have no idea why I'm not getting through to you. And you begin to kind of think about this, that, you know, why is it that I am highly unsuccessful at this point? It may even seem that you need somebody else to reveal what it is that they are truly thinking. And well, here, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit searches out all things. He knows the mind of God, and He knows our minds. The psalmist declares to God in Psalm 139 that before a word is even on His lips, you know it already. The Holy Spirit is omniscient. And we have received him from God so that we might understand the things God has freely given to us. And the emphasis here is that without the Holy Spirit, that the grace of God would still be unknown, and we would still be trying to find a way to God. Verse 13 says, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Here we have another work of the Holy Spirit, and um, it is the work of illumination, which is a lifelong ministry to the Christian, and it means to receive spiritual understanding of the biblical revelation, which is, um, which is able to believe, make us believe, 
and receive for our spiritual growth. Let's see if we can get caught up here, okay? Um, you know, I find it kind of interesting that um, when, when we read God's Word, we do need to have an understanding or illumination, which is really, you know, the Holy Spirit that is working in us. And, and for the Corinthians, in their time, it was not that they were reading the Bible, but that they were receiving the words of the apostles. They did have the Scriptures of the Old Testament that they could read. And so that the, we're all clear, you know, this is not about giving a, a, a new revelation here, but this is being able to understand the biblical text as it is heard, as it is read, and as it is explained by teachers and writers. One of the things that happens to us is that sin naturally clouds our minds and our wills when we hear the Word of God. And we miss, or, or sometimes we even resist the force of Scripture and God through the Holy Spirit, though, works in such a way that He opens our eyes, He opens our ears, and He opens our heart to understand and respond to what God wants us to know about ourselves. And I'm thankful for that. See, what, what I've come to kind of uh, realize here is that if it weren't for the work of the Holy Spirit doing these things for us, uh, we'd still be at the same place that unbelievers are at, right? We'd just be looking up here and saying, oh, I can see the iceberg at the top of the surface. But what we really want to see is what is happening underneath. What is all the truth that is there? What more can I understand about God? The Holy Spirit is is omniscient, and we have received from God um, the Holy Spirit so that we can understand the things of God as they have been freely given to us. The emphasis here is that without the Holy Spirit, the grace of God would still be unknown, and we would still be trying to find a way to God. Um, I want to make sure of, of this, that you understand this too, that this is a personal relationship with God that we're looking at here. And um, with God, uh, sometimes it's hard to actually enter into a real relationship with God, even as Christians. Uh, some people actually, even in this room, fear God at times. And, and you're a Christian. You're a, a follower of Christ. And there are times where uh, you may find yourself fearful, and you may be like the Corinthians and finding it really hard to grow as a Christian. You may be struggling to read God's Word because it seems like the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit is not happening, or perhaps you fear the conviction that the Holy Spirit will bring upon you is more than you can bear. I want to remind you, Christian, you received salvation on God's terms, and there is nothing that He withholds from you as His child, but we must not remain impersonal, living beings. God Himself is personal. He is dynamic. He is a God that wants to be personal with us. It's important for us to be able to say, God, please allow for these things to happen in my life. This was the challenge for the Corinthians. They didn't know this. They, they seemed to be unaware of this, that, that really, you know what? God is revealing himself to you. He's not revealed himself to the unsaved. It's obscure. It's hidden to them. And more than that, God has given you his Holy Spirit so that you can learn more about him. But at the same time, he's going to do a work in you where you come to a place where you understand his word. And it's going to be because his spirit is going to start to do a work in here that sometimes may be a little bit difficult for us to bear. Because he's going to change some things. 
He wants you to have this new understanding of himself. Well, we've come now to the final section of, of this text here, and we're going to take a look at these uh, last um, few verses here. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This text takes us back to the natural person that is unable to accept the things of the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean that they can't try. In fact, there may be some here today that have come this morning to understand what this Christian thing is all about. And I want you to know that you're welcome to be here. And I'm sure that there are some Christians in this morning, that are here this morning in this room that have walked down the same road for a number of years as the Holy Spirit was working to bring conviction and understanding of God's truth to you. However, the text is clear. For the natural person, the idea of believing that a Jewish man named Jesus was God's son sent to bring eternal salvation makes absolutely no sense. And why should it? To the natural person, it just doesn't register. This, this idea of a Jewish carpenter who lived and died for me, for my sins. I once heard the testimony of a pastor who was a uh, bartender prior to his conviction and salvation, and this is how he put it. He said that his mother had become a Christian while he was um, uh, in this job as a bartender, and um, he noticed that his mom's life had completely changed. And he was telling the, uh, the bar owner that was his boss there, he was telling him, you know, I just, I don't really get this. I mean, I'm all for her kind of having the opportunity to kind of learn. But it just seems really weird, he said, because all of a sudden, she's changed. And as he put it, she was always reading the Bible. She was going to church services and Bible studies. And he told his boss that he really didn't understand what was going on with her, but something was different. And then his boss chimed in and said, yeah, you know, I remember in, in the previous establishment that he had, um, before that one, he was telling his, his employee, he said, you know what? He goes, I had a bartender there that got religion. He got saved. That's what he called it. And the next thing you know, he gets all serious about it and starts reading the Bible, going to church. And then he quit bartending and decided to go to Bible school and become a pastor. The pastor who was sharing the story said that they stood there together, scratching their heads, both of them being unbelievers, because it just didn't compute to them. It did not make sense. They couldn't figure out why people would do this. I think his story underscores the truth of this passage, that the natural man is not spiritually discerning. The spiritual person can show discernment, but the, the natural man cannot do that. However, I want you to know that there is good news for us today. And, and especially if, if you've come this morning and, and you're trying to understand God or Christianity, the good news is that you have heard the gospel. It is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent to take the punishment for all the sins and disobedience that you have ever committed before God. And if you have this conviction of your sinfulness before the holy and righteous God, then ask God to have mercy on you. In a humble way, submit your sinful life that you have lived before God. As Scripture tells us, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. And so if that is you this morning, if you 
have come this morning and you're like, wow, you know, I didn't know you were going to be talking about me. I want you to know that if you are one of his and God is, is opening these things up for you this morning, that now is the time for you to go ahead and be able to say, here I am. And I recognize my disobedience before you, God. I recognize my sin. And I plead for your mercy upon me. Verses 15 and 16 emphasize the point that Paul has made about the Christian life and growing spiritually. Christians have the ability to judge things because they are spiritually discerning. The Corinthians felt like they needed to show themselves as important to their neighbors and community, and the result was they ended up feeling like these people should join our church, and, and they weren't even believers. But at least, they thought, they'll give us credibility. Yes, they had seen the tip of the iceberg, but they could not see what was below the surface. Friends, this is why we as a church are desiring to preach the gospel that has come from the mind of the Lord. Be wary of the message that speaks only of love and does not preach Christ. Christ as in Christ crucified for our sins. You know, there, there ought to be a depth of understanding of God's immeasurable richness towards us because of what Christ has done. Um, I, I'm reminded of the fact that um, if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, one of the things that we, what we read about here is that there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, it says there. And this man came to Jesus by night, in verse 2, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this wind. You and I have no ability whatsoever to predict what the Holy Spirit is going to do. But we do have some promises that are given to us here. You see, this, this church was kind of stuck in a, in a pattern here where, you know, it's like wanting to look out at, you know, this, this forest of trees, but you're standing behind one tree. And you just can't see beyond that anymore. Because their growth had been stunted. They, they were at that place where it was, like, these things just, just haven't really computed yet. Because what they were receiving was, was really information and, and exchanging ideas with unbelievers. And sometimes... That happens to us. And so, in the concluding thoughts, I just want to ask you to consider this. 
Be careful of who you give your eyes, ears, and heart to. Be careful. Christianity is still popular in the United States. It is. And, and we see people that will declare that, you know, that they love God or that, you know, even uh, just want to give thanks to Jesus Christ or I want to give thanks to God or, you know, this is only because, you know, sometimes, you know, God puts us in hard places and so, you know, I hear things like that. And it's easy for us to want to be able to say, that's a person of influence and, and let's quote them now. Let's make them an authority within Christianity for our lives. I, I remember that as a, as a youth that, that I would hear that about various people that were maybe in, in, in the music industry. And then while I would hear that from certain people that would tell me about that, then I would examine the life of that person. Alcohol, drugs, vulgar language. And it makes me think about this, that how easy it is sometimes for us to want to be able to um, understand more about those people than it is to want to understand more about God. So be careful. Secondly, I want to invite you to think about this, to invite God to visit the deep inner recesses of your soul. There are some things that are hidden within us that we have never, ever brought before God, or that we know that we should. And, and maybe there is, there is sin that is there, and so uh, the difficulty for us is that um, as we go through life, that sometimes it's hard for us to open our Bibles and to read it. Because we know that God may want to deal with this, and we're not quite ready yet to give it up. It, we want to avoid the conviction maybe that, that God has for us in our lives. And so we choose to just say, you know what, I'm not going to invite him in there. The result is that you're not going to be able to understand God more fully. And the question becomes then, was there ever really a moment where you said, you know what, I came before the Lord and I cried out for mercy for those sins. I want to urge you to take the time to invite God into the deep inner recesses of your soul. Read His Word that is there. You don't need to go and, and, and read large passages to make yourself godly, you, you need to allow for the Spirit of God to work through the passage that you are reading, to allow for teachers to be able uh, to speak into your life. It happens here at church. It may happen in one of our Bible studies. It may happen in our home group. It may happen when you say, you know what, would, would you pray for me? I'm battling through these things right now. It's a brother or a sister here at church. Maybe it's one of the elders, the pastor. And you say, you know what? I just need God to begin to work in here. And thirdly, I want to ask you to think about this. Choose to share the gospel without guilt. Sometimes it's hard to share the gospel because we're, we're kind of thinking, I, I need to come with eloquent words. I, I need to be winsome. I, I need people to not reject me. Um, be encouraged by this, that Paul went to the Corinthians and he said, I, I did not come to speak the same language you guys spoke and, and use the same sort of skills that you guys really value here. Instead, Paul came and he said, I'm just here to tell you, you may not like this, you may not receive this, 
but God will do the work in your life. And here it is. Jesus Christ did come, and He was crucified, and He was placed on that cross for your sins. He took the punishment, all of God's wrath, for your disobedience. And then allow for the Holy Spirit to do His work. These may not be easy things for us to, to consider doing, but I do want to ask you to at least bring these things before God. Ask Him to allow for you to grow. And that's what Paul wanted here for the Corinthians. Grow in these things. You know, don't, don't allow yourself to just be happy and content with what you see here at the top, at the surface of the water, above that surface. Instead, experience all of God's richness, all that God has to offer us. You and I bring nothing. We come on His terms, and that is the work that He wants to do in us is to replace those old things, get rid of those things, and fulfill us now with His promises, with His joy, with an everlasting life with Him. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we're thankful for the preservation of Your Word, that... Uh, there is this revelation that has been given to us. It is sufficient. It is complete. And even further than that, Father, the, the revelation of you uh, bringing your son Jesus Christ into humanity, condescending, leaving heaven, and being willing to take our punishment. And that you would pour out your wrath upon him, Lord. And then on top of all of that, that you would bring an illumination into us to understand you, to recognize and to receive in repentance what you have done. Lord, help us to boast in the fact that you have done this for us, that there is nothing that we have to offer, and that as your humble servants, Lord, that the opportunity now to commune with you, to, to be in fellowship with you, that it does require for us then to be able to, to announce your name, to declare your goodness, not to seek though the affirmation of, of our fellow human beings, but rather that it is to lift up the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names, and that it would be at his name that every knee should bow and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We thank you for these truths in Jesus' name. Amen.